Come on, can we give Jesus the highest praise today? Would you lift your voice? God, we thank you, God, for all you've done. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you give somebody a high five as you're seated? Tell them you sounded great today. Man, I don't know about you, but who's excited to be in the house of God today? Come on. It's a good day. You guys are energetic. I love it. So excited to be here with you all today. Hey, we've had an amazing start to our summer. Who's excited about the summer right now? Man. And we had our first off kick, a kickoff for our students last week, the Foam Frenzy. Anybody went to the Foam Frenzy? I know there's a few students in here. They got, I know they got Color War next week, and, and our uh, Young Adult Ministry kicked off Thrive, Summer Thrive last Monday. They have one coming up Monday. I know we got some Thrive students in the room. And then there's VBS. Check this out. We're doing a morning and an evening VBS, and at the huddle today, Katie actually mentioned something that I thought was so cool. She said that we're actually having to turn away volunteers right now. How crazy does that sound? In the past, we used to beat the drum, like, hey, and we always want people to volunteer, but so many people are wanting to volunteer, so many people want to be plugged in, that we're, like, overwhelmed with volunteers, which is an amazing thing. We're doing a morning VBS and a night, first time we've ever done that, and so we're so thankful for people that jump in, people that lead. In fact, there's so many leaders in the room that are helping with students, helping with young adult ministry, helping with kids in ministry this summer. Come on, can you give it up for all of our leaders? Thank you, volunteers. We couldn't do what we do without you all. But hey, I'm so excited to be here with you today. We are continuing a series on the Beatitudes. It has been an incredible series looking at Matthew 5 and all the things that the Lord is teaching us, leading us on what it looks like to even go against what culture says makes you happy, makes you blessed, right? And so we heard an incredible message last week from our lead pastor, Pastor Brandon. He talked about how meekness isn't weakness. Come on, how great was that? It was awesome. I'll tell you, I know I needed that. Um, taking this amazing passage, maybe that's not that popular to preach on, but, but I'll tell you, as a father, as a, as a leader, as a husband, as a son, man, I needed to hear that. And I know we always honor around here because honor is so important, but I'm so thankful for a pastor that can take a passage like that and it can speak to so many people, doesn't matter how old or young. Can you honor a pastor and thank him so much? <laughs> Meekness, not weakness. Love it. Love it, love it. Well, hey, we're continuing our series, Beatitudes, and we're going to talk about the fourth Beatitude today. I'm excited to jump in and talk about it. In fact, I just want to give you a little, little context when you look at the, the Beatitudes. It's actually the beginning of what I would consider the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and Jesus is actually talking. He's sharing some incredible things, and I had a chance this past March to go to Israel with a team from our church, and I got a chance to actually see the place where Jesus preached this message. I want to show you a picture of it. This is called the Mount of Beatitudes. It's awesome. It's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and so when it says, even at the start of Matthew, that he came and he sat on a hillside, how cool is that? This is the hillside that he sat on. And, you know, it says that he brought the disciples, he brought people to him. He, he, Jesus had so much compassion on people. Like, he spent so much time. A lot of times we hear in the word that, like, he spent all day healing people. And you're like, no, he really did that. He spent all day with people. And he's preaching this great sermon, Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7. And he says things like, don't worry about your life what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. He says things in this sermon like, hey, don't store up treasures here on earth, right, where, rot, where, where moth and rust will destroy, but he says, store up those treasures in heaven. 
And then he says, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says all these amazing things, things like salt, you're the salt of the earth. And he says, when you shine like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And he says all these things. And at the end of it, he closes in Matthew 7. And he says this, those who take my words and put them into practice is like the one who built his house on the rock. When the rain came and the streams rose and beat against that house, it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. How many are thankful that we have a foundation that is on the rock today? Man. Because the storms of life come, and this is why Jesus says, listen, when the storms of life come, this is why we've been in the Beatitudes, he says, listen, be happy, be blessed, because no matter what the world tries to do, I'm giving you a joy that's not found on this earth, but I'm giving you a joy that's found in me. And so when you take this message, this whole series, listen back a couple weeks, it's so profound, so good. And honestly, it's because God has compassion for every single person in the room. In fact, today, this is what he's saying to us in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those today who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when you look at this word, like we've learned over the last couple of weeks, this is a happiness or a blessedness that's not a worldly happiness. But it's one that's found in him. It's one that the world can't give to us. And let me tell you, it's one the world can't take away from us. And so today, he's talking about an utter fulfillment, a joy that is found when we hunger and we thirst for the things of God. In fact, I have a couple of translations here. One of them says that those who hunger and thirst will be completely satisfied. I love how it says that. Another one says those who want to do right more than anything else in their life are happy because God will fully satisfy them. So listen, if you're in the room today and you're struggling with being satisfied, if you've tried everything and you're still feeling empty, listen, Jesus says, I have a satisfaction today that is completely unmatched. I have something to give to you that you can't get anywhere else. And Jesus uses this metaphor of hungering and thirsting, and I love it because, you know, there's a lot of times in our life, have you ever been hungry for something, but you're not really sure what you want, right? Come on. You ever open up the fridge and like you see all the things in the fridge, you're like, man, I don't know what I want, but I don't want anything that's in here. Come on. And parents, how many of you have been shopping before? I get this as a parent, and I come back home, we undo all the groceries, the kids run downstairs, they open the pantry, and they're like, there's nothing to eat in here. Or how where are my Cheesecake Factory friends? Anybody love Cheesecake Factory around here? Come on. You got that 80-page menu, right, when you open it up, and it all looks good, but nothing really looks good at all. And you're like, come on, just bring the cheesecake. That's all I want right now. But the truth is this, right? We have options, but at times in our life, we don't want any of them. And this is a place, it's kind of a picture of culture now too. I mean, anything and everything, whenever you want it, is available. And the truth is this, we are on a pursuit of satisfaction, of filling ourselves with more and more of things. And God is saying, if you're looking for a meal that you'll never want to eat again, he goes, I've got a solution for you. And so today, I'd love to pray for us as we jump in. Would you pray with me? We're going to pray that God's presence would meet us here, that he would fill us up. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're a God that's with us. You're a God that's for us. God, give us something today, Lord, that we can't get anywhere else. Give us, just like you say in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, Father. Every day, you're providing things for us that the world can't give, but only you can give, Jesus. We love you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus, and everyone says, amen. You know, when I was studying this passage, thinking about this, I thought about God had kind of brought to light just the man who was King Solomon. King Solomon was the greatest king that ever lived. He was 
David's son. He was the, the richest, the wealthiest. He was the wisest king that ever lived. And he also wrote the book Proverbs, like the majority of the book of Proverbs. I mean, he had everything that you can think of, everything that you can imagine. This is King Solomon. But listen, he writes this miserable book at the end of his life called the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Have you ever read the book Ecclesiastes? Well, let me help you. It's a little depressing if you read it. You know, you watch this 12-chapter journey of a guy who literally tried every food in the refrigerator, and nothing satisfied him. In fact, in the very first chapter, he begins to talk, and he talks about how he had so much wisdom and wealth. He learned so many things, had so much knowledge and understanding, went to every school he could, had every degree. And this is what he says right here. He says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, man, the more grief, he says. Pretty much, he says, I've lost my innocence because all I've ever done is learn, learn, learn. And I've learned too much. And in fact, at the end of the book, in chapter 12, he says this, of making, of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Can I hear a good amen from all the students in the room? And so he continues on. He says, maybe it's not about learning. Maybe it's about a career. Maybe I need to find a job. Maybe I need a nice car. Maybe I need to set some of the greatest goals and have the greatest achievements in my life. And in chapter two, this is what he says. He says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. He says, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything he says was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Pretty much Psalm saying, if it was there to eat it, I ate it. If it was there to drink it, he said, I drank it. If it was there to be experienced, I experienced it. He said, maybe it's not about working. Maybe it's not about my career. Maybe I just need to work harder. Maybe I need to become the CEO of my company. Maybe I need to have the greatest achievements, become the master of my universe. And what happened is he became a workaholic. And he accomplished so many things, if you look in the life of Solomon. I mean, he did so many incredible, amazing things. And he got to this place that you see in chapter 2 where he started to dread Mondays, right? Like, you've been there before. You know, you fill up your inbox, maybe in your email, and then you empty it out, and the next day it fills back up again. You feel like you're always pushing a ball up the hill, and then you have to push it up again. And this is what Solomon says. He says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, he says. It was a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Pretty much, Solomon is saying, I'm going to die one day and someone else is going to enjoy everything that I've worked hard for. He's like, and I've worked hard for a lot of things. And maybe he thought, you know what, maybe it's not just about working hard so I can save up. Maybe I'm going to invest my money so my money can make money and I'm going to buy the finest boats. I'm going to find the nicest real estate. I'm going to have the nicest clothes. And this is where he comes to and he says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. Listen, this isn't me preaching. This is the Bible preaching right now. And Solomon was a man, if anybody could say this, even the Queen of Sheba, it says in the Old Testament, visited him because she heard about his wealth. She heard about his wisdom. And it says that when she left, it says Solomon gave to her from the royal bounty of what he had, it means he blessed her with so much. He had so much, and he says this, it never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes, to gaze, and to look at these things? 
So he said, maybe it's not in things. He said, maybe it's not in achievements. Maybe it's not in degrees. So he's like, maybe it's in popularity. Maybe it's about the people I surround myself with. And so he had servants. He was never alone. He had people always addressing his needs. And he had everyone around him. And even with everyone around him, he was never alone. But he was always feeling lonely. In fact, this is what he says about himself. He says, there was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And so he really got to a place where he's like, you know what? This is what's going on. I don't know what to do. So he went then to, it says, wine and women and music. He began to party. He began to have all the festivals that he could. In fact, I love how First Kings says it about him. It says that he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Come on, how many know that's a sermon for another day right there? I mean, he surrounded, he did everything that he could ever imagine, and he writes this depressing book. But let me skip to the end of this chapter, and honestly, let me skip to the end of our life. Because there's going to be a time when our searching ends for something that satisfies us. And here's where Solomon ended up. This is what he says after 11 chapters. He finishes it, and he says, the last and final word is this. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. I feel like we can just finish the sermon right now. I can walk off. We can go have our Father's Day barbecues. And I mean, this is the word of God preaching to us today. Fear God. Do what he says. Hmm. You know, when you think about fear of God, it's a very interesting thing. I think it doesn't mean in his culture something that it means in ours. For us, it equals like, like a mad God. <laughs> I think a lot of times we have this mad God philosophy. Like, man, I messed up. God's mad at me. And and the truth is, is, maybe this is for one person in the room, or maybe this is for everybody. Listen, God is not mad at you, okay? I mean, God loves you that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him has everlasting life. In fact, listen, the wrath of God has been swallowed up because of what Jesus did on the cross, and now the blood of Jesus washes our sins. How many are thankful that Jesus came so that we can have life and relationship? You know, in fact, Jesus actually uses a word in the New Testament when he's quoting Deuteronomy and he's going through the temptations and Satan's speaking to him and he uses the word fear and he, and he changes it to the word worship. And I think this actually gives us really good commentary of what the fear of God looks like. What it means is it's a deep respect. It's an honor. It means you actually want to approach, but when you do, you bow before God in reverence and you get as close as you can because he's an awesome God. And when you get there, you listen to his words you apply them to your life. You do what he says, and you're like what? The one who built his house on the rock. When the streams come, and the, and the circumstances, and the situations, and the conflict, and the storms of life come, you know what happens? They beat against that house, but it doesn't fall. In fact, Solomon says this. He says, eventually, God is going to bring everything that we do out into the open, and he's going to judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it is good or evil. So pretty much what this says is we will one day stand before God, and we will give an account to the life that we lived. We will give an account to the way that we stewarded our life. We will give an account to the things that we tried to satisfy our life with. And basically what Solomon is saying here is if you're searching and you still haven't found what you're looking for, he says, he says, fear God, worship God, and get close to him and live the life that he always wanted you to live. You know, I've 
always, as a pastor, been able to encounter some amazing people as a pastor. And when I was a pastor in New York, I remember getting an inbox in our website for a guy who said in, in his message, like, hey, can I come visit the church? Pretty much, he was asking permission to attend church, which I thought was very interesting. And so I started like looking this guy up, and I saw him on Facebook, and he was actually a very wealthy guy. He owned a, a prominent newspaper company right in the local area, and he came to church, and I met him, and he loved church. Couldn't believe it. He's like, man, I want to come back. And he's like, in fact, he's like, I want to learn more about Christianity, you know? And so we met, started going over this discipleship book called Learning to Follow Jesus Together, and I got to learn so much about this guy. He was a very successful man, wealthy man, but he was searching and seeking and and I found out he was actually a very religious man. He was actually Jewish. He was raised in a synagogue, and, and he knew so much about the Old Testament, but he knew nothing about the New Testament. And I remember one day I asked him, I was like, I said, hey, Brett, so tell me, like, why didn't you ever read the New Testament? You know so much about the Word of God. Why don't you read the New Testament? He's like, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to. Like, that was not okay. And I was like, that's strange because, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And he's like, no, he wasn't. And I was like, yes, he was. I was like, what do you think Jesus was? He's like, I thought Jesus was Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why would you think he was Italian? He's like, I don't know, the Roman Catholic Church. You know, I thought all the disciples were Italian. And, <laughs> and I tell you, it was so cool just seeing the scales fall off his face when he learned more and more about Jesus. And it was so incredible just to see this hunger just develop inside of him. And he learned more and more about who the Lord was. And I mean, in New York, the people, not a lot of people know about Christianity and church. So it's very common. You'll encounter people that don't even really know who Jesus is. But this was one of my favorite ones. And, you know, he said to me at the end, I remember like uh, at the end of the series that we were doing in this book and discipleship, I remember him coming to me and he sat back. This is a man who had everything. He had so much wealth and he's so successful. And he said to me, Joel, he's like, listen, I truly have found what satisfies. And I remember that to this day, he's still living for Jesus, man. He's got such a great testimony. And it made me think about this quote, St. Augustine said, and that's this, thou has formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless. Listen, our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. And I want to make an appeal to you all today to take the advice of this fourth beatitude. What would it look like if you had a hunger and a thirst you're at the refrigerator door of life and you're looking for the best meal that you could ever have and the only thing that truly satisfies is Jesus and his righteousness. And the Bible pretty much says this in Proverbs. It says, whoever pursues righteousness and love will find life, will find prosperity, will find honor. So what is it? What keeps us from having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? What are the things that will try to satisfy us that really aren't meant to satisfy us? Jesus in actually John chapter 10 says it very plainly to us. He goes, be on alert for there is a great adversary, the enemy himself, who seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is his game plan. So he's going to fabricate things in our life that make us feel like we're being nourished when really we're never satisfied. In fact, we're longing for more and more of something that is fake and fraud and not of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says at the end of that, he goes, listen, I have come to give life and life to the fullest. And we can find full satisfaction in him. In fact, nothing else in this world can do for us what Jesus has done. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you today two things that will keep you, that I believe keep us from a hunger from God. And I want to show us two ways we can pursue righteousness and get all that we have for God. You guys ready? All right, we're going to jump into this. Here's the first thing that keeps a hunger from God. And it's this, we fill up on the wrong things. 
Come on. Like you already ate. Even though there's a good meal waiting for you, you already ate something that's not going to satisfy you, right? And it really isn't what God wants anyways. It's like going to the gas station. You know, you're filling up gas and you're on your way home. You're not sure if there's really dinner. You go to Sheets or Wawa or I have this awesome gas station near my house that I love to stop in at. You know, and you grab those chips, right? You grab those Cheez-Its, whatever it is. You grab that Reese's peanut butter cup and you're grabbing some things because you're hungry in the moment. You know, the gas station by my house has amazing fried chicken, Listen, you can think I'm crazy. People think I'm crazy. But until you try, it is the best fried chicken I've had in this area. But it's still fried chicken. It's still greasy. And you're taking this food and you're eating on the way home. And, you know, the cheeses are coming down your face. And you got a little bit of that chocolate in your beard. And you pull up to the house and you find out that dinner is ready. And it smells good and it's actually your favorite meal. In fact, men, it's ribeye cooked medium rare. Come on. I know I'm making you hungry. Somebody introduced me to medium rare for the first time, and I about lost my mind. I've always been cooking at medium. And you pull up, and you smell it, and you know what it is, but check it out. You're not hungry anymore. And so you come to church, and you're like, okay, what do they have for me today? Because I'm already feeling a little bit satisfied today. Or you step into the presence of God, and you're like, okay, how long is this going to take? Because I got a lot of other things that I have to do right now. You know, that's why mom always says before dinner, she's like, listen, don't eat before dinner. Like, save your appetite. Or you go to the restaurant that has the great bread that they bring out right before the meal. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, that fresh bread. You got that oil dipping sauce that you're putting in, and you're like, I'm just going to have one piece. Whatever, you're not going to have just one piece. If you have one piece, I want to meet you at the service, and I want to know about your discipline, because it's not going to be one piece. You're going to wait and wait, and you're going to have another piece. And so sometimes what happens is we fill up on the wrong things. And sometimes I think the wrong things in our life can actually be sinful things. And the truth is this, is sin tastes good, but it never really satisfies. Man, it looks good, and you want it, and you want it so bad so quickly. And for a moment, it may satisfy you. But how many know that it leaves you longing for more than you wanted before? In fact, I love how it's said of Moses about him. It says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy what? The fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting pleasures of sin. In fact, one translation says, instead of enjoying sin, the last for a short season. Moses knew it wouldn't satisfy. It looked filling, but it wasn't. And so would you listen to this just for a minute today? And consider something, because this is what the Lord is saying to us. And he says it gently. He doesn't say it forcefully. And he says this in Isaiah. He says, the Lord says, all you who are thirsty, I want you to come and I want you to drink. Those of you who do not have money, I want you to come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He says, why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you and leaves you longing for more? He says, listen closely to me, and you will eat what is good, for your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. Listen, the Lord is saying in this room right now, for some of us, maybe all of us, maybe just one of us, it's time for a different kind of meal. It's time for a different kind of meal because the truth is we are hungry. We may not even know it. And that unsettledness, that restless feeling that you have is a restlessness that's trying to find rest in him. And when we're constantly filling up with the wrong things, listen, this is what can happen to us. It can actually keep us from experiencing the goodness of God. 
When we fill up on things that we're not supposed to, it can actually satisfy us and sedate us for a second where we actually miss out on the true things that God wants to give to us. In fact, my grandmother was probably one of the greatest cooks. She passed away about a year and a half ago, and even up until she was in her mid-90s, she would cook Thanksgiving meal. I mean, it was good. My grandfather was German. She was Italian, so I'd get a little mix of both. I'd get some chicken and dumplings, and she made the meanest baked ziti and lasagna. By the way, there's a difference between the two for everybody in the room. She'd make the greatest gravy. That's what Italians call sauce and meatballs. I know you're getting hungry right now. Let me tell you, there's one thing that she could not make good at all, and that was a bowl of chili. (laughs) Classic bowl of chili. I remember as a kid, she'd come home and and stay with us in New York when my parents were traveling, and, and, and I would be so excited, but there was always that one night, it was chilly night, I dreaded. And I knew it was going to come out of nowhere. There was no, like, list of what, when we're going to eat what, and I just knew it was going to come out of nowhere. And I remember there's two reasons why I dreaded it. One, because I didn't like the chili, but two, I knew my grandfather was going to make me eat it all. And so I remember the night came, and my brothers finished up. You know, they're older than me. They're like, you just got to put it in, man. You just got to do your work. And I'm sitting there like, I'm not going to eat this bowl of chili. So my grandfather, in his wise way, says, it's okay. You don't need to eat the bowl of chili tonight. Because when you wake up in the morning for breakfast, the bowl of chili is going to be waiting for you. (laughs) If you don't want it for breakfast, you can have it for lunch. You're going to eat this bowl of chili at some point before you eat anything else. And, you know, because of that, I just hated chili. I just really never liked chili (laughs) until I met my wife, and she made the best bowl of chili I've ever had in my life. Come on. Best bowl of chili. She put the sweet potato inside that chili. She put some, I'm telling you, sweet potato and chili is amazing. Sweeten it up. She put those spices in there. She put the best kind of beans in. She put some turkey meat in there because she knows I'm trying to watch my weight all the time, and doesn't matter what it was, but man, I'll tell you, my wife's chili is the best chili. I don't care if it's winter or if it's the hottest day in summer. I will eat that bowl of chili because it is so, so good. In fact, the Bible tells us this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. But here's the thing. Some of us have rejected the things of God because of how someone else has served it to you. And sometimes we don't want to step into the goodness of God or the things that God has for us because of how someone else has served it up to us. And a lot of times this can happen in our life. A lot of times it can leave a bad taste in our mouth. But you know, as a church, this is why so much we say to you, listen, we want you to jump on a team, right? This is why we say jump in a growth track. This is why we say we want you to be a part of a group. Listen, we're not saying these things because we're trying to grow a church. Listen, we're saying this because there's so much growth still to be done in you, this is why we talk about serve day, jumping in to, to serve projects. It's because there's something that happens in our life when we actually step into the goodness of God and we give of ourselves. It begins to transform everything in our life. In fact, I love how Paul says it, and I think this would something that our leaders would say and our staff and our team would say as well. Paul says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, overflowing to the brim, to the measure of all the fullness of what God has. And I love it because let me tell you something, there's so much more that he has for you. God has not even begun. There's so much more for you, for your families, for your workplaces. 
God is leading us. He's growing us. He's showing us. And he's pretty much saying right now, he says, it's time to hunger and thirst for the right things because we are all hungry for something. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon says it. He says that eternity has been written on the heart of every single person. So it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or you go to church or not, whatever the situation may be, on every single human on this planet, there is a God-sized hole that needs to be filled by something. Something. So even though you may not know it, you are pursuing and you're searching for something. And God's saying, come and eat. All who are thirsty, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. And Jesus says this about hunger and thirst. He says, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is what he says. He says, you will be filled, right? So righteousness is what? First thing righteousness is, is this. It is right standing with God. That's what it is. To be made right is to have a right standing, a relationship with God. In fact, Romans says it like this. It says, the good news, the gospel, it shows how God makes people right with himself. It goes on to say in chapter 3, we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Let me tell you, as a church, we will never move past the majors of what we believe and that we've been saved by grace through faith and that it's a gift from God and that we should not boast about it. In fact, one of my favorite things I love about our pastor is that, man, he knows the gospel so well and he's preached it so well and you hear it even in the transition today because this is what we major on as a church. That we've been saved by grace. In fact, Romans 5 says it like this. It says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, remember that satisfied the wrath of God, now that we're in right standing with him, it says he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God, I love that, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Can we give God praise right now? Jesus, we thank you, Father. You have made us friends. And here's the truth. We are made right with God by coming into a real tangible relationship with God. I tell you, I love our times of corporate worship together as a church. It's it's some of my favorites. And I'm here four times a day (laughs) on a Sunday singing, and I love it. But I would never trade my one-on-one intimate friendship daily moments with the Lord because that daily walk with him is something special. And he reminds me time and time again, Joel, your works can't save you. Joel, no matter what you do or how good you live, you can never be saved. It is because of what I've done that I've saved you. So righteousness is right standing with God. But here's what also righteousness is. Righteousness is right living on earth. I want you to hear this, okay? It's right living on earth. And this one's important because some of us will say, you know what, I get it. I get the gospel. I can preach it. I got the mug. I got the t-shirt. I get it. But the truth is I'm still feeling a little unsatisfied. I'm in right standing with God, but I still feel empty. And let me tell you, that happens when we choose to live life our own way when we want to do what we want to do and we want to do it our way. You know, there's, there's a lot of people right now that are saying, man, I want to live my truth, right? I want, to, I want to take a little bit from the Bible and I want to take a little bit from this. I mean, we see it all over culture. It's one reason why we're preaching this series right now because Jesus was so counterculture. And people are like, I want to live my truth. My question is, how's that working out for you? 
Because the truth is, there's only one that satisfies, and he is the way, he is the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Proverbs actually says this to those people. It says, there is a way that appears to be right. It appears, it looks like, it sounds like, man, that sounds great, that sounds good. It appears, but here's what happens. It, in the end, it leads to death. This is the warning. This is why as a church, we do stand up here and we will say, we want to keep ourselves accountable to the word of God. We know that as culture is moving away and shifting away further and further away from integrity, further and further away from the word of God. I want you to know today, you stand on a church, you have a pastor, believes in the word of God, is presence driven, and will not drift from what the Bible says. And let me tell you, it's not because of legalism. It's not because we're saying, well, this is what the Bible says, so we're going to stick with the Bible says. It's not what we're saying. It's because this word gives life. And it gives life to the fullest. And it's because God has so much more for each and every single person here. In fact, I would say it this way. We have a right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends for us. Solomon says, fear God. Come close and do what he says. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end he says, take my words to heart. Don't just be wowed by them. Don't, don't just write them down and close the book and leave it for another day. He says, apply the words. And let me tell you, when the storms of life come, you will have a foundation that can weather anything. You know, I, I'll tell you, there's a story in the Bible I love to close with that I love, I absolutely love. It's, it's a time when Jesus is, is with his disciples, and they leave, and they go away, and, and pretty much um, they're going shopping. And as they're shopping, Jesus is by himself. He goes to a well, and he meets this woman. And he says to her, hey, can I have a drink? It's very interesting because this woman was a Samaritan. Jesus is Jew. And, you know, Jesus is a man, and she's a woman. And so this is like counterculture. And Jesus, in his amazing way, just totally crushes the racial and gender barriers. He says, can I have a drink? And she pretty much is like, yeah, you can have a drink. You know, at first she's like, why are you talking to me? And and so she's like, yeah, you know, you can have a drink. And so Jesus said, well, the real question you would ask is, is a drink for me because the drink that I have would give you a thirst where you would never thirst again. And so she says, I want that drink. He's like, great. He's like, go grab your husband. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you don't have a husband. You actually have five husbands. And the one you're living with right now is not your husband. And he pretty much is like, calling out her book of Ecclesiastes that she's writing. You see, she tried five times and she's still not satisfied. And I love how Jesus does this. And whenever he points things out in our life, and let me tell you right now, he does it in a gentle way. He doesn't come storming in and be like, can you believe what you did? No, he comes in gracefully. And he talks to us and he says, listen, I have something so much better. And this woman says, man, I want that drink, and I believe that drink is going to come one day. It's going to come in the form of the Messiah, she says, and we're still waiting for him. He's taking some time, but I can't wait till he comes because he's going to give us everything we need. And Jesus turns to her in John 4, and this is what he says. He says, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to look any further, for I am he. And today I want you to know that's what Jesus is saying to everybody in this room. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. 
if you've been trying to get satisfied by other things in your life, I want you to know right now, he is the only one that can fully satisfy every desire that you have. And he's in the room right now. Would you stand with me? I really feel like God right now is speaking to hearts. We're going to just take a minute. So would you just close your eyes and, and just recognize and know in this moment that God is here. He's present in this room. He's not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. And he's pretty much saying to us that hungry people get fed. And so today, he has something to give to us that the world can't give and the world can't take away. So would you just lift your hands right now like you're going to receive something? Jesus, I pray over every person in this room, every family unit that's represented, every father, every mother, every son, every brother, every sister, every child in this room, God, I pray they would recognize and know they can come to the well that never runs dry. They can come to the one who has more than we could ever ask or imagine. They can come to the one that can fill them up to overflowing that will create even a greater hunger for more things of God. In fact, God, I pray that over every family in the room, that God, every child, every teenager, God, would have a hunger and thirst for you, Lord, that would rock this city, God, that would rock this region, Father. There'd be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness where people would walk around and say, what is different about this man? What is different about this woman? There's something that they have that I don't have. And so God, I pray for that hunger and that thirst. And so Jesus, as we lift our voice and we worship you, God, may we recognize and know that, Lord, you are filling us up, God.